This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. We are finishing up today what I, I believe may be one of the most significant series that we've done. The reason it's significant is because there is very few things that affect our lives the way that relationships do. Just to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going for the next few weeks, we're next week going to be starting a three-week series called Epicenter. Uh, Epicenter is really uh, somewhat of a vision uh, series. We're going to be looking at kind of one component of the vision that God gave me when we started talking about Vortex. And really, for three weeks, we're going to look at what it takes to live from the most powerful center in the universe, what it means to actually live with Christ as the center of our lives. Because when we live with Christ at the center of our lives, we not only get stronger, but things shake around us. And so we believe that God wants to move in our lives, that he wants to not just give us a personal relationship with him, but a shared relationship with him, one that by him and through that relationship, other people are blessed. And so we're going to look at that for the next three weeks in Epicenter. So I would highly encourage you to be here starting next week. One of the main thoughts that we've been looking at is is just thinking about how friendship affects us and the people that we uh, kind of surround ourselves. And we've mentioned several times through this series uh, social media. And so I thought I would open today by giving you uh, 10 tips on how to use Facebook, okay? Um, these are not, these are 10 horrible tips, all right? These are not good tips, okay? This is like, if you wanted to use Facebook horribly, this is how you would go about using it. All right, number one, only post when you ask people to do something for you. Who wants to come help us move? These are actually things I've seen. We have these cats that need a new home. Can you recommend a good place to eat? I need to find a cheap plumber to fix my toilet because I have poop overflowing in my bathroom. Does anybody know someone that does good work? See, cheap plumber and good work don't go together. I don't know if you know that. Um, Number two, second thing, share statuses when people say nice things about you and publicly comment things, you know? Because that's so humble. Um, number three, this is really for the guys. It's even more so for the ladies, but I think the ladies get this one. Don't have a shirt on in your public profile picture. This will immediately establish that, yes, I'm good at life, bro. Number four, ask important questions in broad, vague ways. Like, any, and these are, again, examples from what I've seen before. Any advice on how to start a business? Really? <laughs> on Facebook? That's what you're asking. Here's, this is really my favorite. It's horrible, but it's my favorite. My marriage isn't doing so good. Got any tips? <laughs> really? Oh, man. Number five. Number five. Complain about people who don't respond to you. 
Because nothing makes people want to talk to you more than shame. (laughs) Number six, click on a suspicious website link. Give that website your Facebook password and let them spam all your friends. Then tell your friends that you were hacked like some guy in an apartment in Kazakhstan remotely broke into your account. Number seven, frequently use this term, please share. Especially those people who post things that you will share this if you love Jesus. Eight, all caps, all the time, because it's the only way to really express yourself. Number nine, when someone makes a legitimate, honest complaint about their life, either one-up them or tell them about people who have it worse than them. When people share something that they're excited about, either tell them that you're having a bad day, which is awesome. That's just really, those are wonderful things. Or tell them why what they're excited about is not so great. And 10, this is my favorite, my all-time favorite. Publicly announce that you're going to unfriend somebody. Because today, we're going to look at unfriending. Here's the main idea of the series that we've been in. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That we tend to become the average of the five closest people, the five people that we spend the most time with. That, That relationships as God has designed them have significant influence. And we've anchored in in this verse out of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Having trouble in your marriage, struggling relating to your spouse, are you spending time with people that have good marriages? Or are all your friends in broken, busted relationships? Do you have trouble managing your money? Right? Are the people around you broken in debt? Or are you spending time with people that actually do that well? Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You know, I told you throughout this series that most of the good things that have happened to me in life, I can look back and I can provide some credit to someone that God used that is a lifelong friend who was an encourager, a supporter, someone who spoke into me. But I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if you're like me, but there were friends of mine that were there when I got in trouble too. You all ever have that happen to you? That there are friends that whenever there was something that went wrong, I rarely got in trouble alone. When I was in the eighth grade, it was in the early 90s. If you can flash back to the early 90s and remember how ugly we dressed back then, I'm going to take you on a little adventure with me. 
there were these pants. I, I was at the time in, in our neighborhood surrounded by a lot of guys who like to skateboard, and so I did the same thing, and I was horrible at it. I was the worst skateboarder maybe in the history of the world ever. But I wanted to dress like a skateboarder because that's how you let people know what you were doing because you dress like certain things. And so one of the fads that hit was a a kind of pants, they called them skids. You probably don't remember them, but let me describe them to you. They looked similar to uh, MC Hammer pants, okay? In other words, they had some elastic at the top, big balloon, elastic at the bottom. I mean, and, and MC Hammer pants were awesome because on MC Hammer they were made out of leather, but skids, as they were being made for the young grunge skaters, were in ugly plaid, really hideous patterns, neon, anything you can think of that right now most of us wouldn't even wear it to bed. All right? So I had my skid pants. And my friend Sean, we had a little convenience store that we could ride our bikes to. And my friend Sean, one day, they had just release these things. Some of y'all won't, won't even know these things. Some of y'all remember this moment. They had just released Lifesaver Holes. Do you remember when Lifesaver Holes came out, right? They were like, like actually, like there was a little piece that they were cutting out, right? And so now they were going to take those and sell them to us. And we thought that was the coolest thing. So my friend Sean said, hey, Kevin, I think you can shove some of those down them skids. There ain't nobody going to see them. That's a big baggy thing. And so we drove our bike over to the convenience store, and he went, tried to distract the clerk, and I went up there, and I was putting them down my pants so they fell down in here. I had lifesaver holes up to my ankles, you know. I mean, it just, and then we went out back and, and walked around out back, and started, I, got, I was fishing them out of my pants, and the clerk's boyfriend walked around the corner. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean it. How do you not mean it? You know? He goes, give me them things. Boys, you realize she watched everything you just did. He let us go, and I learned something that is important. That friends are going to push you in a direction. All of your friends are going to push you in a direction. And we have to be careful about the people that we allow to have great proximity into our lives. You see, the thing about friends is first thing in your notes. That we meet friends by chance. Life by chance, by God's providence, brings about friendships. But we Deepen them by choice. We meet friends by chance, but we deepen them by choice. And there are friends that you and I have made that life has given. They were the person that sat next to us in class or the person who has the office that's right next to us or maybe a client that we had at some point 
Maybe it's the person that cuts your hair. We have met people by chance, but we have deepened relationships that have had a negative impact on our lives. Because here's the second thing you notice. This is really the thought that we kind of need to anchor in for today. That it is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. I'm going to say that again. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Because your friends are going to push you in a direction. Your friends are going to be the ones that are pulling you and advising you and giving you options. They're going to be the people around you that say, hey, man, let's go do this. And it's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. I love that as we look into the life of Jesus, that we see a tension that's important to learn when it comes to friendships. The first thing that we see, this is Matthew eleven nineteen, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It's really interesting if you ever get around a bunch of uh, people who think they know a whole lot about the Bible, ask them the names of God in the Bible. This is my favorite little little trick to play on someone. They'll start going on Jehovah Jireh, Alpha the Omega, all those kind of things, right? And they'll get to the list and you go, you left one off. What? Friend of sinners. The Bible tells us that Jesus was described not by himself, but by the religious leaders of his day in not a very positive way as being a friend of sinners. But here we have the one person who lived life completely sinless that is described as having a loving proximity to people who were living against God's will. He was a friend of sinners. But the Bible also tells us a few other things that creates attention in here. In Amos 3.3, the Bible says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two? No. For, for us to walk together, we must both agree on the direction that we're going to walk together. In other words, if we're going to do life together, if we're going to be friends, then there's going to be a common agreement. We're going to have common ground. And if you have the wrong friends, you're creating the wrong common ground. Number three, 1 Corinthians 15.33, the Bible says this. Don't be fooled by they, those who say such things. Talking about some, some tricking comments. For bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good 
character, those of us that have good character, that will be corrupted by the wrong friends. And so the Bible gives us this tension of, hey, we need to be aware of the fact that when we get around the wrong friends, they will have a negative influence on us. But then we look at the life of Jesus, and he was called a friend of sinners and so loving and gracious to everyone. So it leads me to understand that there are two different categories of friendships, two different kinds of friends. The first kind of friend is the friend, these are the friends that influence you. The friends that have influence over you. The people that you are learning from, the people that you go to and listen to, the people that when you have a question, you ask them. And then there are friends that you influence. You see, there are friends that we need to be influenced by. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, we've used this several times throughout the series, that as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. We need people in our lives to influence us towards Jesus. We need that. We need to have friends that are sold out and going after God, that love him with their whole heart. People who have godly marriages, who manage their money in godly ways. We need to have those kind of people in our lives to have influence over us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But there should be friends in our lives that we have an influence over to. That we're, the whole purpose of that friendship is to provide influence. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And he goes on to elaborate about that. What good would that light be if you hit it? How can the world be lit if your light is not present? So God has created us with the intent that our lives would be akin to light to shine into the dark places of others. And in Mark 16, 15, Jesus said as he was wrapping up his earthly ministry, he accomplished all that God had accomplished through him. In Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. It didn't say just go find a good couple friends who are nice and treat you well. Go to everyone. So there are those, kinds, those two kinds of friends. You see, the reason that we want to think about Jesus and how he dealt with people, that he could be called a friend of sinners, is because the message of the gospel The message of God through Jesus is that we can be made into the likeness of Jesus. And here is an important thing to realize that when you step back and look at the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels as the Bible presents Jesus to us, that Jesus loved everyone equally. 
but he didn't treat them equally. He loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat them equally. So what I'd like to do with the time that we have left, I'd like to go through and give you two things that I will never let my friends do to me and one thing that I will never let my friends stop me from doing. Y'all with me? Y'all ready? I hear like two of you are ready. All right. That's good. Y'all get something good out of this. I'm just... (laughs) All right, number one. Things that I won't let my friends do. Two things. Number one is distract me from God's plan. To distract me from God's plan. Look at this verse out of Matthew 16, 33. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is moments after Peter has confessed, Jesus, you're the Christ. And now Peter has taken that knowledge and twisted it and put it into his own frame and his own plan. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me. You've become a stumbling block to me. You have distracted me. What you're saying is different from what God's plan is. And we need to be aware that we cannot let our friends distract us from God's plan. Here are some things that I think are very common for us to deal with in friendships. Where a friend, well-meaning, ignorant, but well-meaning, would try to discourage us from being obedient to God. The first thing is someone that would discourage you from being actively involved and attend church. Anyone, anyone who's doing that is keeping you outside of God's plan. Because God's plan is that you would be involved in a community of faith, that you would be a member of a church family. That you would be known and cared for and loved. And it is all too often that I get around some folks and they haven't been to church in three or four weeks. And I'm like, hey man, what's going on, man? You know, and I was just hanging out with some of my friends. And they just really, you know, they wanted to go do this this weekend. And then next weekend they wanted to go do this. And then the next weekend they wanted to go do this. And I'm like, well... I mean, where, where's, where's your relationship to, with your church family fit into that? Where's, where does that obligation to be there and to care for others and to serve, where does that fit in to that? The second thing that I think I see a lot is the kind of friends that care a lot more about money than they do about people. 
the people that will tell you, hey, man, you know, I'm, you know, we, we really got to gotta watch. You know, we got to work some more hours because we, we really, we got to go on a trip. We got to make some money. You know, I know you need to be home with your family, but let's, let's, let's work on a weekend this weekend and see if we can make some money. Let's pull a Saturday shift and see if we can do some of that. People who love money more than people. People who are giving you advice that doesn't put your family at the heart of your situation, but puts finances first. People that, that those kind of tensions constantly are there. Can I, can I share one with you that, that might offend some of you? And I'm, and I'm okay with offending you about this. Um, people who are overly invested in sports teams. I'm going to share a story with you that hurts me. I had a really good friend. Uh, he, and um, the past probably three or four years, I've just been really close with him. He's one of those guys like, you know, every shirt he, he owns has uh, the team insignia on it. His car is that color. You know, they have like eight flags out in their front yard. And one Saturday while his team was getting owned by somebody else, I sent him a text message just making a little joke of it. And I didn't hear from him for six months. And after a while, I kind of noticed it and just finally felt like, man, I, let, me just, let me just get in there and see what's going on, you know. Um, and finally, I mean, he, he told me, you know, it's, I, I, didn't, I didn't really appreciate you making fun of my team. I'm like, you haven't talked to me for six months because I made fun of your team? So your team's more important than me. That's really what you just said. That sports team is more important than you. you know, that, that's, that's a huge, huge issue. See, the thing is, is that it's not always that you'll get distracted and pushed towards overtly sinful things. It's even at times that God would distract you with the good thing when he wants to give you the best thing. Maybe the best example I have out of my life is that in college, I dated a, a girl who I, she was really, honestly, she was beautiful. She was funny. She was fun to be around. Um, she was very sweet. She loved Jesus. And it got to our senior year, and it was like, are you going to ask her to marry you? And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't know why, but I don't want to. Um, and so we, we got to, to, to that point, and, and we just both decided we'd move home. We moved home and um, ended up breaking up a, a, a few, few months later. Um, and, and, and I really honestly at that point, in my life thought, you know, I have no idea if I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm in Stanley County, <laughs> you know. Everybody that's my age is doing stuff that's just very crazy. I have no idea how I'm going to meet anybody. And uh, God gave me uh, something that's, I, I'm not, the, the word better doesn't even describe my life, you know. It's, it's the best is the right word there. Um, and it's, it's really easy in life 
to get distracted from God's plan. And, and friends who are willing to push you towards good. Like our, listen, job, good thing. Dad, provide for your family, good thing, right? But a friend that's going to push you towards something that's good and make it ultimate, that's not good. All right, so friends that distract me, I will not let friends distract me from God's plan. Number two, I will not let friends continually tempt me to sin. I will not let friends continually tempt me to sin. Genesis 19, 12 kind of wraps up the story of Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Joseph has been a slave in their home. And this is how the verse goes. Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And if you've read that text and understand the story, he ran out of the house naked. I mean, he just start naked. Can I, can I tell you something? You don't run out of somebody's house naked just on accident. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't happen. Like, ooh, all my clothes are gone. I don't want this. You know? You know, you can tell in the context of the story that there was some temptation that was there. That here is this woman that is pursuing him as he is an indentured slave in their home. And eventually, Joseph chooses complete and total rebellion above temptation. It runs knowing that he would get caught and put in prison. Which means he chose a much worse circumstance because he was living in a wealthy man's home to flee temptation. I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. For those of us that are here, all of that looks different. For some of the ladies, it's your friends that like to talk about prayer needs for other people. Or what it really is, is gossip. Hey, I really want you to pray for uh, my friend Sue. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) But I heard that her husband did not come home last night. I want you to pray for her, okay? For men, trash talking. It sounds fun, but let me tell you what trash talking does. All trash talking does is invite you to overinflate your ego. That's all it does. Obviously, the people who struggle with addiction and partying, you, know, you have those friends that are constantly calling and inviting. And for those of you, listen, for those, of, and there's some of you who are in the room, for those of you who are new young Christians, and that was your lifestyle before you met Christ, you need a new set of friends. Okay? Y'all get with me on this one. Because it's impossible to live 
the right life with the wrong set of friends. If you lived that life with that set of friends, you need a new set of friends. So here's the one thing that I won't let my friends stop me from doing. And that is loving people with the unconditional love of Jesus. Let me ask you something. What's the worst thing that could happen to you after you meet Jesus, after you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? If you've read the Gospels and you've seen the way that Jesus dealt with people, you're going to agree with me. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you become a religious snob. That's the worst thing that could happen. Because the people that you find Jesus railing against, the people that made Jesus angry were the religious snobs. The people who said, I got it all together. You don't. I'll tell you how to get it all together, and I'll tell you what's wrong with you. One thing I won't let my friends do is keep me from loving someone with the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus distanced himself from those Pharisees, but he didn't lose heart for them because in John 3, we find one of them that comes to him. And he receives him and has one of the most intimate and detailed conversations about salvation in all the Bible. Jesus didn't unfriend sinners because they sinned. They're sinners. That's what they do. They sin. He loved them. He loved them. The book of Romans tells us that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. When we were first kind of getting going as a married couple, my wife uh, had a job with a bank in South Carolina. And it based her out of a, a branch that was really near my office, which was awesome. We got to have lunch a lot. It was one of those really uh, very awesome seasons of life. And the branch manager that was there became very good friends with my wife. They did not attend church. Uh, her husband uh, owned his own uh, business. As I came to know him and get to know him, he was using that business at times as a, a cover to run drugs. He was really, really lost. She was really, really lost. And their marriage was on the rocks two small, beautiful girls about to lose everything. And my wife loved her. She prayed for her. She learned what kind of Skittles she liked. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. She'd pick them out and take them to her. They'd spend time. They'd go eat lunch together. Just be friends. There was no agenda. Before long, um, they uh, showed up at our church. 
and say much. They just come in, drop their kids off at kids' services and come in, sit, and leave. One day we did an event. We did a, a baptism event. We just, at the end of it, we felt led by the Lord to give an invitation for those people that have met Jesus but never been baptized and they wanted to be and both of them just running straight up there. And uh, we baptized both of them that day. Their lives have radically changed. I mean, since then, they have been through some of the most significant struggles that I've ever seen a family walk through. Uh, found out that they were expecting another child. Ended up finding out that he had spina bifida. Um, God has been very generous to them, and he is doing well. She quit her job because all of a sudden family mattered a lot more than knocking out 80 hours a week at a job. And he got clean, started working hard, making enough money to support his family. They both serve in church now. Both work in kids' ministry. How awesome is that? Because somebody was willing to love somebody. I mean, that's the heart of the gospel. Is that Jesus was willing to love us. He was willing to love us when, when we were completely unlovable. That God was willing to step into our lives and to hug us when we were dirty. That he would receive us when we were not easily received. Look at this verse out of John 13. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. For by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what's God's plan for showing people that we actually have experienced life changes, that we can love them unconditionally? That we can put up those boundaries. You are not going to tempt me to sin. And if you're going to be that person, you're, you're going to go to arm's length. I'm sorry. If you're that person that's constantly trying to pull me off of the track that God has me on and distract me from God's plan, I will love you, but I will keep you at arm's length. You will not be a friend that influences me. But I will influence you. I will love you. I will care for you. I will pray for you. I will ask God to save you. I will invite you to church. Because God has loved us that way. God loved you so much that while you were far away from him, he was willing to come and insert himself into the middle of time to die bearing our sin and failure and to give himself over to us so that we could be right with God. That's the kind of love that he wants us not only to experience, but to share. Let's pray.
God, today as we pause, God, as we, we take a moment and think about the great love that you've given us, an unconditional love that we have never, ever even earned. God, when we look at the, the calling that you have placed on our hearts to, to love people, to be just like you, to be a friend of sinners. God, many of us today in this room fall into that category. We've stepped outside of God's plan. We have walked away from your design. We've started doing our own thing. And in turn, God, we've looked at you and said, it's okay, I've got this. But you love us so much that you want to be close to us, that you want to lead us and guide us and to make us right. So today, God, right now, by your Holy Spirit, those of us that are in the room that are not right with you, those of us that are here right now that are not right, I pray that you would go ahead and convict our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit. Those of us that need to make that commitment to experience the unconditional love that you want to give us. God, it's our prayer that you would do that. So with nobody looking around, every eye closed, nobody stirring, let me ask you this question. And I don't want you to let anything, not the person you're sitting next to, not what anyone would think about this decision, keep you from making the right decision right now. Have you experienced the unconditional love of God that transforms your life? Has Jesus become your best friend, the lead influence in your life? If you want that, but you don't have it, you can have it right now. So if that's you right now and you want to say, God, I want to experience your love. I've been blowing it. I've been walking away from you, but I want to commit my life right now to following you. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Anybody else? Is there anybody today that would say, hey, you know what, my friends, my friends have been doing some things in my life. They've been leading me down the wrong path, and I know I need to change some things. And I just want to commit right now before Jesus that I'm going to defriend somebody so that I can live the right life with the right friends. Is there anybody that would do that before Jesus right now? Raise your hand if that's you. I need to make an adjustment in my friends. 
God, thank you. Thank you for inviting us into a life that is filled with hope. And God, today as we take the next few moments to respond to you, to think about what you've done in our lives. God, thank you for those that have given their lives to you today. Love them in a way they've never been loved and accept them so that by your grace and mercy, God, you can do something through them. Love some people that have maybe never been loved the way that you would want to love them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.